This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we have an awesome guest for you. That is a new friend to me that I met when I was out at the Keystone Insurers Group Emerging Leaders Conference in Vegas, and that is Mr. Alan Stein Jr., best-selling author, coach, speaker. This guy does it all. What's up, Alan? Not much, man. It's so great to reconnect with you. I, I Part of me feels like Vegas was forever ago, and then part of me seems like it was <laughs> yesterday. So, you know, we're still kind of in that time warp, I think, from the pandemic where everything blurs together. But it's great to reconnect with you, my friend. Absolutely, man. I, you know, it's funny. I said the exact same thing to my wife yesterday. Like, it feels like it was eons ago that we were out there, but it was really like a month. <laughs> you know, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. Yeah. I, I, the dates always get foggy once they're in the rear view mirror. Like I have trouble remembering how long ago something was because um, I try to be so fixated on the present or knowing what's just over the horizon. Um, but yeah, once, once it's in the rear view mirror, I often forget what, what date it was. Well, and you travel more than I do, so that makes it even more complicated, right? You know, every, and then I, if I'm traveling two, three weeks in a row, then where I, what I did where always blurs together too. Absolutely. So listen, why don't we crank this thing up? Talk a little bit about your background because your backstory is pretty interesting, man. I was telling Kyle a little bit about it, but um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted him to hear from you, but also everybody that's listening because it it builds to what gives you such great credibility now when you take the stage to speak. Well, I spent most of my life and most of my career uh, in in basketball, uh, primarily at the youth and high school level. Uh, but I was very fortunate to work at two very prestigious high schools here in the Washington, D.C. area that have combined produced dozens of players that are currently in the NBA, uh, the most notable of which is Kevin Durant. And having an opportunity to work at these two high schools for a combined 13 years, that led to opportunities um, with Nike, with Jordan Brand, with USA Basketball, and I got an opportunity to work events uh, for guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Steve Nash. Uh, so I've had a really interesting vantage point that I've had an opportunity uh, to work with and see players when they were really young, like on the come up and what it took for them to ascend to the top of that mountain. 
but then I also got a peek behind the curtain of already established legends like Kobe and LeBron and Chris Paul uh, and see what those guys did to not only make it to the top of the mountain, but to stay there and to continually incrementally improve in everything that they do. And, and those two vantage points uh, have given me a very unique perspective that I now apply um, to folks in business or really any other area of life. So I have to believe when you were working with those guys, even at a young age, it was pretty obvious that there was a separation between the level they were on and the level everybody else is. And you don't know this about me, but I played baseball um, competitively through college, was drafted out of high school. And so I was I was part of the um, – I, I got to see how people morph as they get older and, and change. And, you know, you go from being in high school where you're the best of anybody around to going to college where everybody is the best of where they came from. And then if you're fortunate enough to go to another level, then – Everybody was the best of the best of the best from where they came from. And, you know, obviously I'm interested in, in hearing your experiences because you have to adapt and make incremental improvements when you're already, you know, at that level to push yourself further and further and further. Mm -hmm. What was it like, man? I mean, when you see KD in high school, was it obvious that this guy had what it takes? It was obvious that he had the tools in place that he would have a very high ceiling of how good he could be. Um, and certainly when we're talking, whether we're talking basketball or baseball, anything where there's a physicality component to it, um, certainly things like, you know, height and explosiveness and athleticism, hand-eye coordination. I mean, those those are part of the pie without question. But the reason I'm I'm so inspired and and, and love the, the you know applying these principles to business is we can take the physicality part out of it and we can actually look at what are the other building blocks to success and you know a, a few of the commonalities that I've seen um, whether you're talking about elite basketball players or anyone that's elite in any area of life uh, one of the foundational pillars with all of them is that they don't get bored with the basics that they have a very strong respect for the fundamentals. And they work towards mastery uh, of, of the simple things before they ever try to graduate to doing things uh, on a more advanced level. Um, they respect the game. They respect their craft. They respect the process. And they understand that success is built by doing the basics and the fundamentals at an elite level. So that's, that's certainly one of the separators. Uh, another major separator uh, is they're all coachable. You know, the, these high performers crave feedback from competent coaches and advisors and trainers. You know, they want someone that can show them how they can get just 1% better. You know, if we're talking about a basketball player, you know, how can you make my footwork just a little bit more efficient? How can you tweak my shooting mechanics just a little bit? Um, so they're, they're very open to coaching. Um, but what they do is they, they blend that openness and that humility of being open to coaching. They blend that with a confidence that they've put in the repetitions during the unseen hours to deserve the right to be a lead at what they do. So on one hand, you know, they're the kings of the court because of their confidence, but they, they still blend that with enough humility to stay open to coaching. Uh, and then the last thing that I've noticed that ties all of them together uh, is they have a, a relentless passion. You know, they have a passion for the game. They have a passion for self-improvement and for development. You know, they, they, they put their heart and soul into everything that they do. They don't approach anything of value to them in a casual manner. 
everything they do, they give it their best. And that's just a, a very small handful of, of things I'm sure we could talk for, for hours on that, that really unite high performers in both basketball and business. You know, I think that there's perception from people when you look at anybody elite at anything they do, you know, whether it be the NFL, the NBA. I mean, let's use the NFL as an example because it's the one I typically use. You know, these guys play once a week and everybody sees them once a week. So everybody thinks, oh, what a great job that is. I can show up on Sunday. I can catch (laughs) a few passes and be done. And I think that we completely gloss over exactly what you just said. Yeah, these guys get to show up. It's all the 4 a.m. workouts, man. Yeah, to play because of all of the other stuff they're doing the other six days a week, you know, pushing through injury, pushing through mental strain because their family doesn't see them as much as they want them to you know just under just getting bored with the mundane you know over and over and over again and you look at guys and i mean no disrespect to him for this at all but you look at somebody like barry sanders what happened to this guy right this is a guy that was at the top of his game and just left at the top of his game he left all of us wanting more but something had God, to he click was so in good him. man he was yeah, so fun to watch to so I, I think one of the huge things that's different these days is sports medicine. Like all of these guys take that very seriously. Look, like, look at Brady, right? Look LeBron. LeBron's been in the league for, I mean, this is his 18th season. Like, you know, all of these guys are taking spending millions on their on their bodies in the offseason and, and repairing and recovering. That's something that people just, frankly, I, in my opinion, probably didn't really know about back, you know, when in, in like Barry Sanders era and some of these older guys. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a huge part of it. Well, well the, so the most important thread that you guys are touching on, which I'm so glad you went in this direction, is is what we call the unseen hours. You know, it's it's what these guys are committed to doing when no one else is watching, when the cheerleaders aren't dancing and that the cameras aren't rolling. What are they doing to set themselves up? to prepare to be successful. You know, at the time of this recording, less than a week ago, LeBron dropped 56 points on the Golden State Warriors. And it's, you know, all anyone talks about or sees is the highlights from the actual game, which is a shame that they can't get a a peek behind everything that he does on a daily and weekly basis to put himself in a position to be that successful, you know, as as you just mentioned, you know, starting with his sleep, uh, starting with his nutrition, his hydration, starting with the stretches and the workouts and, you know, all of these things, you know, combined, done consistently for long periods of time is what allows him to perform at that level. And, and I want folks that are in the business world or we can apply it directly to sales to have that exact same mentality. You know, before you go, before you have a sales call or a a meeting with a prospective client or customer, what are you doing during the unseen hours to prepare to set yourself up for that meeting or that appointment to be as successful as possible? You know, how much due diligence are you doing? You know, how much time are you spending looking through the client or customer's eyes and really getting a feel for their challenges and their pain points? You know, how much time are you you needling over how you're going to solve a problem for them, which in essence is what sales is all about. It's about solving a problem for someone else. And, you know, I, I find that a lot of folks in the business world or in the sales profession think they can just kind of show up and wing it and that'll be good enough. And that's almost as absurd as what you just alluded to that, hey, on Sundays, I'm going to throw on my helmet and just show up and catch some passes. It's like, no, you you won't be in the NFL very long if that's your approach. 
And it's the same thing with being elite in business. You know, if, if you're a CEO or an executive uh, and you run meetings for your team, how much time do you put into creating a meeting plan and making sure that only the essential people are at that meeting so it's a very efficient meeting and that you're going through things that are actually going to move the needle with action items when you leave? You know, all of this stuff takes preparation and the vast majority of preparation takes place during the unseen hours. Absolutely. I mean, Kyle, you grew up playing basketball. I did too. I had right. to, when I got out of high school, I had to get, I had to pick a choice, pick one, right? I, I could have gone and played basketball at a, at a small school and probably never played, or I could go play baseball at a bigger school and actually get to play. So, you know, little I, but known I fact, it, the uh, series Eastbound and Down and character Kenny Powers is actually based on Mr. David Carruthers. <laughs> that is a I classic would never. show. <laughs> so yeah, I, good. I, would, I feel like Kenny and I probably have a few differences um, <laughs> in the way we conduct ourselves, and I'll leave it at that. But, um, I would hope you know, so. That being said, though, yeah, yeah. You know, that being said, though, man, you know, I think back to that, and I mean, I think basketball is a really, really good example of the unseen hours. I think golf is another really, really good example. I mean, certainly – you know, football and baseball and all these other things. But I think basketball and golf are both unique in that aspect because a lot of the work that you can put in, you don't have to have somebody else with you. You know, if yeah. you go to the cage, you have to have somebody to pitch to you or load the pitching machine or whatever else. Or if you're playing football, you got to have somebody holding the tackling dummies or throwing the passes or, or whatever needs to happen. But I mean, I look back and I think of all of the things that we used to have to do that I absolutely hated, right? I mean, I hated running suicides but guess mm -hmm. what if I ran the extra couple of suicides that the coach wanted us to do every single time I was gonna have better cardio Just than my competition th that much better and so that and, and you, so that's and you don't realize it right you no. know same thing shoot a hundred free throws before yep. you leave the gym every time why you know I know how to shoot, shoot a muscle free throw memory. becomes but autopilot. It's the muscle memory yeah. and it's the, it's the constant repetition of it and I mean I think you know our game is very much like that in the business world right now. I mean, think about this. If you look at, and we use the insurance industry as an example, but think of it this way. If you, if you pencil whip your continuing education and you don't take it seriously, what are you really doing for yourself, right? You have an opportunity. You're going to spend the time in the course. And I, and I look at this from even having my, my CIC designation. When I first got in the industry and I went out and got my designation, there would literally be agents who had been in the game for 10 plus years sitting in the back of the room reading a newspaper while the instructor was up teaching concepts and things. And I'm thinking, yeah. hey, friend, I'm going to take you out when I get on the streets because you're not paying attention and I'm going to know things that you don't know. And I mean, I've always looked at it that way that, you know, I look at the things that I see people taking shortcuts on and that's where I want to spend my time. Yeah, well, you know, it, it reminds me one of the, the earliest coaching maxims I learned, which certainly applies to every area of life, is little things done consistently yield big results. And, you know, same thing with what you were just mentioning. You know, if I can improve my cardiovascular fitness by just a couple of percentage points, if I can improve my strength and power and agility by a couple of percentage points, if I can get just a little bit more accurate on my free throws, just a couple of percentage points, you start to get the aggregate gains of all of those combined and it'll level up. And, you know, whether we're talking about 
basketball or we're talking about business or sales, you know, um, we have to find little ways to create separation, little ways to to, to create, you know, uh, an edge over our competition. And this doesn't necessarily mean you have to be directly competing with somebody else, but, but to have the mindset of what can I do to help separate myself uh, in my craft and in my skill set and with my mindset that will allow me to continue to grow and improve and evolve. And, and to me, that's what's most important. And, uh, you know, it's been my experience that folks in the business world and in the, in the sales world that, that kind of have that athlete mentality um, usually flourish and do really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm I glad. can tell you. I don't know. I don't know many, very many other insurance producers out there that walked around for months wearing those strength shoes, where we had to <laughs> had the platforms on the forefoot because I wanted to get my the vertical up by a couple. Of, yeah. Dude, yeah. jump soles work, man. I'm so we you. had, yeah, we had those. I, I, that those were like hot when they first came out, and then when I moved up to West Virginia, we actually had this thing for your vertical where like a plyometric like, machine. Yes, where yeah. you got underneath it and then you jumped up, but it was chain driven with resistance. And I bet you I added literally six inches to my vertical just by getting on that machine every Dude. single day and jumping it. I did the eight week workout thing with the jump soles when I was a junior. And then I came back like senior year, I was able to dunk like easily. Yeah. And so, but I'm, I'm glad that, um, well, and, one of and the, Alan doesn't know this, but you're not like, you're oh, I'm not sure. an overly, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm average. six, I'm six, four. Yeah. Kyle's probably like what? Five, 10, five, 11. Yeah. Five, 10, five, 11, somewhere in that range. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's certainly more of an accomplishment than my ogre self. Yeah, I'm just a scrawny, short little white dude. Like, but, um, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I was going to ask you is the mentality. I'm, I'm glad you kind of let off with this is like, what, what things you saw out of these, high level, you know, elite athletes that kind of set them apart. And then the thing that stuck out to me was the ability to be coachable that you said, but also to have that confidence in their preparation and, 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 and the humility. And I thought that was cool. Cause one of the biggest lessons I remember from playing high school basketball was I got into like an argument on the court in practice with my coach. I don't even remember what it was about. Like I, we, we weren't seeing eye to eye to something and, and I, was kind of talking back to him. And he just, he, he said, fuck out of the gym. And so I, so I, I, yeah. So I, so I was like, okay. So I left. And then after practice, like he kind of pulled me aside. He's like, dude, he's like, you need, you, you've got to be coachable. And I like never had really thought about it. And he started explaining what he was talking about. And from there, like that lesson was the biggest thing and has, has stuck since. And I think it's helped me in my, in my career. Um, You've got I find to you to be that. extremely coachable these days. Well, there you go. You can thank uh, you can thank Coach Joe Blasnalis for that. He's like high school. So, so Kyle is clearly matured, and that that's what all of us should be looking to do. You know, I mean, I I think we could, you know, to a person, we don't have all of the uh, same perspectives and approaches and mindsets that we had 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 True. years ago, which is a good thing. Um, you know, it, it, when you were talking about mindset, the, the next thing that popped into my mind that unites all high performers in basketball or in business uh, is the ability to be in the present moment and the ability to focus on the present and to not get distracted by the past, not get anxious about the future, but really be in the now. And, and you know, in the basketball world, the, the term we would use is we want you to play present. You know, we don't want you to worry about what just happened. You know, you just turn the ball over, don't worry about it, next play. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the referee didn't make the call, don't worry about it, next play. You missed a wide open shot, don't worry about it, next play. And get players to constantly refocus that lens on the next play 
because it's the only play they can do anything about. They can't do anything about True. the one that just happened. So elite level players, you know, take a, a Stephen Curry, for example, who, in my opinion, will go down in history as the greatest shooter the game's ever seen. He's you know, unquestionably. He, he has so many tools that allow him to be a great shooter. But the one that's not talked about enough is his mindset. And he has that, that pr play present mindset. You know, it does not happen very often because obviously he's a good shooter. Whoa. You know, you yeah. can look up statistically, there have been times where Steph has started a game 0 for 7. He misses his first seven shots. But what makes him so elite is he shoots that eighth shot with the same confidence as if he had made the yep. previous seven. He doesn't let what happened before have any negative impact on what's about to happen now. And that, you know, I think any of us can admit is a really, really challenging thing to do. I mean, imagine, you know, your last seven sales calls, you get rejected and, and, and the prospect or client or customer chooses not to buy. It's hard to go into that eighth call with the same confidence as if those other ones had closed. So this is not an easy skill set, but it is one that we can all work towards improving. And for me, uh, that's one of the main focal points in my life. And one of the biggest challenges in my life at present is trying to stay in that present moment and not worry about what just happened, but refocus the lens on what's about to happen now. So how do you do that in the business world? Because like in basketball, I always remembered, you know, sh you got to shoot your way out of a slump. And, and I mean, you mentioned Steph. A month ago or two months ago, he had probably the worst stretch of shooting in his entire career. Like he was, his, his shooting percentage was horrific. And now he's, you know, back to dropping 30, 40 a game. So in the business, and, and so like shooting, like we talked about, is a little bit more muscle memory. It, it's, it's something that you've done over and over. And while you can lose confidence in that, that muscle memory is still there. So maybe it just might take, a, you know, a, a better day of practice or whatever. In the business world, how do you make that when you lose that confidence of maybe you've got six or seven in a row that didn't go so good? How do you get back on track with that mindset? Well, there's, there's, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and it's so cool that you mentioned that because, yeah, he did have, Steph had somewhat of a slump of not shooting well. And then, you know, anyone that follows the NBA saw what he did in the NBA All Star game. He had 16 <laughs> threes, yeah. which, I mean, is absolutely absurd. So, you know, Ridiculous. he does have that, that whiteboard memory and can say, yeah, the last couple of games, last couple of weeks have not been my best, but what's in the rear view mirror does not define me tonight. And I'm going to put that behind me. But to answer your question, there's, there's two things I can think of that, that can get you back on track, especially in the business world. One is refocusing your lens on the only two things you have 100% control over, which is your own effort and your own attitude. So, so do your best to insulate yourself from everything else and disregard everything else. Don't worry about uh, results. Don't worry about who, who said yes and who said no. Just focus on having your best effort and giving your best attitude with everything that you do because that's all you have control over. And, and if you can learn to detach from everything else and, and not worry about the result, that, that will certainly help get you back on track. And then the other part of that, uh, very similar, is continuing to just focus on the process. Focus on doing things the right way. Don't worry about whether or not you made the sale. Don't worry about whether or not you've hit your quota. Just worry about doing things the right way. You know, even when Steph was in that slump, I promise you, he wasn't even, you know, he wasn't worried about whether the ball was going in the basket. He was worried about his footwork. He was worried about making sure he was catching the ball on balance. He was making sure he was shooting in rhythm and in range, which of course for him is, you know, anywhere inside of 40 feet. <laughs> 
but but right. he was just he was focusing on the process of what it takes to shoot the ball correctly, and then he just detaches from the outcome. And you know, th to me, that is one of the key separators um, for anyone that's in any type of sales position whatsoever is not getting hung up and identified uh, or, or deriving your self worth on the outcomes because outcomes will always be fleeting. If we could guarantee outcomes then we would never have a reject, like we would make every sale. A basketball player would make mm -hmm. every shot, but we don't control those things. I'd win all my parlays. Yeah, well, we need to focus on the things we have control over. Um, and when we do that, we greatly increase the chance of getting the outcomes we want. The, the, the last thing I'll say is the best analogy I can think of is if you're ever tasked with building a brick wall, don't worry about the wall. Just focus on laying each brick with care and precision. Because if you mm -hmm. lay every single brick with care and precision exactly where it needs to go, the wall will just take care of itself. And it's the same thing with sales. You know, if you do your due diligence, you, you figure out and identify the, the pain point that the, pers the prospective client or customer has, and you have a solution that you can customize that matches that. You know, if, if you do all of these little things, you greatly increase the chance of, in this case, the scoreboard taking care of itself and, and the client choosing to, to purchase. So there's two things you said there that I want to talk about for a second. Number one, you said focus on the things you can control. And, you know, some of the best coaching advice I ever got when I was playing ball was from my coach who said, look, your body is going to fail you at some point. You are going to make a physical error at some point. It just happens. Bad hop on the ground. You know, you, you, you just didn't get a quick first step or whatever else. We understand that. But what we have zero tolerance for is mental errors. You can control your mind. You can control how you think and what you focus on. And as long as you don't make any mental errors, you're going to be just fine. But when you allow the physical to affect your mind, you're going to find out that you continuously breed the same things over and over and over again. And, you know, to your, your comments about laying the bricks individually, this ties into something that I have a, a genuine problem with in our industry, and that is agency principals focus on the results. They want to manage results. That is very, very reactionary. We should be monitoring behaviors because behavior breeds results. Think about that example that you gave. If they waited until the wall was completely built to say, oh, man, you did that wrong. Now you got to tear it down and start all over again. That's ludicrous to think about doing that. But that's how people are managing their sales teams every single day. They get them to give their uh, projection for what they're going to do. They don't make it tie, tie back to any kind of a measurable behavior. And then when the end of the quarter, the end of the year, whatever comes, and they haven't hit that number, they want to blame that producer for not doing it. But if they would have just said, look, what do you want to make this year? Give me the number. Work your way back. Figure out those things that you have to do every single day to get to that end number that if you know if okay if I have to do this much by the end of the year I have to do this much by month this much by week and they can just look at those non-sexy behaviors that you have to do 
you're going to win. You don't ever have to worry about managing the outcome because you managed the behavior. And you don't need to micromanage to do that. What I'm talking to you about agency principles is having systems in place. Mm -hmm. Have a CRM so that you don't have to go beat down on your producer to find out you know, whether they're making their telemarketing calls and their marketing drops. Just go look at the dashboard and make sure they're logging their stuff. If your rule is you have to log everything into the CRM before you go home every day, you never have to ask them what they did. You can just go in and look at the CRM and they'll never even know that you're checking up on them, right? But if they don't blog the behaviors in, now you have to go back and revisit and say, hey, look, you know, we have a pretty simple rule around here. Let's have everything logged into the CRM every day. And let's just assume that you're doing that and they're not making forward progress or they're not bringing in revenue at the pace that you think they should. That's a mental problem for the leader at that point, because if you're confident in your process and you understand the daily behaviors that lead to success in that process, you just need to be patient with the people people that are out there on the streets and realize if they're executing what you want them to do every day, it will eventually come. It may not come in equal spurts. It may not come for two or three months, but in month number four or month number five, you could have a watershed month and just crush your goal for the entire year. It's just the way that it works. And it's not necessarily the same in every single sales role because everything has a different sales cycle attached to it. But for where we're at, that's one of the things I see that drives me nuts more than anything else is we're so reactionary to managing performance when we have the ability to coach all along the way and then you never have to have the uncomfortable conversation at the end. Yeah. Well, man, there, there was so much gold in what you just shared. And this reminds me, and this was something I had shared on stage in Vegas with the folks at Keystone, but I'm going to try and break this down and make this as, as simplistic as possible because I believe in making things as basic as possible and and and, and I embrace simplicity. Um, every organization needs to get crystal clear on what winning looks like to them. Uh, you know what what success looks like to them, what excellence looks like to them. I mean, they they can fill in you know the adjective, but they have to get crystal clear on what winning looks like. And once they've done that, as you just said so insightfully, then you can create a system a process, a, a, a series of micro skills or daily behaviors, <clears throat> excuse me, that will increase the chance that you will actually reach that North Star, that desired goal. So as you said, you know, maybe it's a, a numbers goal. You know, we, we want to sell X number of these things by this date. Wonderful. Once you've got that, now figure out what are the daily behaviors that need to be repeated consistently to increase the chance of that happening. Uh, the best example I can ever think of uh, is my good friend Bart Lundy is the head coach at Queens University, uh, the men's basketball head coach at Queens University down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they're they're one of the top Division II basketball programs in the United States. Now, which is quite honestly is remarkable because it was a ladies-only college for how long, right? Oh, I, I don't was even. It? I don't even know. I don't even know the history. Yeah, of it. I think when I was in school, I think Queens was a female-only school, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure on that. You know, now with basketball, he doesn't nearly. He doesn't need to clearly define the North Star because it's already been defined in a finite game. Uh, the goal is to have more points on the scoreboard when the final buzzer goes off than the other team. That's the goal. And then obviously you can parlay that up to you know uh, winning a series of games or winning a championship or what have you. 
But what I love about his approach is he knows the goal is to score more points than the opponent, but he doesn't focus on that. Instead, he focuses on four key analytics, uh, four data points, four statistics that will greatly increase the chance that Queens has more points you know, when that final buzzer goes off. And, and what he's found through their style of play, that their four key metrics, uh, number one is turnover differential. If we can have more possessions than our opponent, it gives us a better chance to win. Uh, number two is offensive rebound differential. If we can rebound our own missed shot and take more shots than our opponent, it gives us a better chance to win. Number three is free throws attempted. Uh, free throws are the highest percentage shot per possession. If we can take more of those than our opponent, it gives us a better chance to win. And four are three-pointers attempted. Uh, three-pointer is a massive weapon in college basketball. If we can take more clean looks from three than our opponent, it gives us a better chance to win. Well, having broken down film for the last decade at Queens, uh, Coach Lundy has figured out that when Queens comes out on top in those four statistical categories, they win 97% of their games. I'm going to say it again because it's that important. When they just mm. do those four things, they win 97% of their games, which means statistically they are almost unbeatable. And the reason this is so important is, as you can imagine, at every workout, every practice, before every game, in every film session, the only thing that he is talking about, reminding his players of, and emphasizing are those four things. You know, every time he designs a practice plan, it's with those four things in mind. Coach Lundy never has to talk about winning. He never has to talk about championships or banners or trophies. All he has to do is talk about those four things because if they do those things at an elite level, the winning, the banners, the trophies, the championships, they'll just take care of themselves just like the brick wall. And to me, that's what every single business should try to replicate. Figure out what the scoreboard is in your business and what winning looks like. Figure out what are the measurable key analytics or behaviors that your team needs to go after every single day in order to increase the chance of that happening and then focus on that. And when you see your team executing those things at a high level, make sure you praise them because that which gets praised gets repeated. And if you see someone on your team falling short of expectations, Expectations and not living up to doing those things well, then you need to coach them up and you need to support them and you need to empower them so that they can raise their game in those areas. And when you do those things consistently, I mean, it's almost magical how often you achieve your goals and how often you reach the North Star that you set. You know, it's funny. You said that what gets praised gets repeated. That is straight out of Ken Blanchard's playbook and well done. I mean, I remember reading that back in the early late 90s, early 2000s, when it, you know, it's a, I don't know if you've ever read the book or not, but it's a leadership and management book that he wrote surrounding how they trained the killer whales at SeaWorld at that time. Hmm. And it was directly applicable to how you lead and motivate in an organization. And basically the, the root concept was people are going to be, people will replicate the behavior that they are recognized for, whether positive or negative, right? Well so if you want people to be, to, to continue to do things that, that they're doing well, you have to praise them and they're going to continue to do those things because that's what gets your attention. That's what gets them the recognition. The one that's more counterintuitive is that when you yell or you, you discipline your children and you're not praising them, but you're disciplining them every 
single time they do something wrong, subconsciously, they replicate that behavior because that's the only time they get dad's attention. They want dad's attention, but they don't get it because dad's praising them for doing all the things that they do well, so they're not going to go replicate that. They're going to replicate those things that are going to give them the fulfillment subconsciously that they need to get the attention from their dad. And so, you know, what I've always tried to do when I've led teams is I want to reward the positive and redirect the negative. I don't want to make a big deal out of the wrong thing. I want to gently guide somebody to the right way to do it. Constructive criticism, retraining, whatever else, but don't make that a negative experience. Focus on rewarding the positive and breeding that over and over and over again. But then when you do have that outlier, the somebody who falls off the wagon, just gently redirect them and get them back. I think that is so important because there's so many times that I look back over the course of my life, whether it be playing sports or being in the business world, and I see people, you know, I, I see managers who get upset because an employee does something that they shouldn't do and they just they lose it. They they yell at them. They I mean, completely unprofessional. I get it, but let's face it, it happens. There are people out there that are bad actors in leadership roles, and it just turns into this death spiral of the person just constantly making them angry over and over and over again. And I, you know, I, I haven't, I don't think I've ever shared this story on the podcast, but there was a guy back in the day when I, you don't know this about me, Alan, but I ran grocery stores and super targets for the first 10 years of my adult life before I got into the insurance industry. So I had a very interesting time for the, that decade just dealing with people that honestly are not the same demographic as the people that I deal with today. You know, I'm dealing with hourly workers, typically not overly motivated. It wasn't like today, so we weren't paying 20 bucks an hour, you know, for people to come and stock shelves or do whatever else, but I'll never forget we had a guy that would show up late for work every single night, 15, 20 minutes every night. Wrote him up sat him down, counseled him, you know, final warning, everything else. And what I noticed was that every the, the, the team was always wondering where he was. The team didn't operate at maximum capacity because they always wanted to know where James was. James isn't here yet. James this, James that. And so the, my, the person who was directly responsible for James came to me and said, we need to get rid of James. We need to figure out James is a cancer. James is a problem. James is dragging the entire team down with his behavior. And my Come response on, was, yeah, my response was, we need to get James on our side. James is a leader. If these people are following James, then we need James to do the things we need to do. So rather than us beat him up, let me handle this. I'm going to take full responsibility for James. If James ends up not working out, I will get rid of him and I will come do his job myself until I find a replacement for him. So I pulled him in. I said, listen, man, I said, we've been down this road. I get it. You know, you've had people that have beat on you for years, long before I got here. You've been a chronic attendance issue. You know, you do great work when you get here. But I got to ask the question, man, why are you late every single night? And the answer was, because my wife works a shift that gets off right at the time I'm supposed to be leaving to come to the house, come to work, and I just can't get here. So I've dealt with it. 
I've taken the write-ups. I've taken the disciplinary action. Yeah, have I had a bad attitude? I absolutely have. Should I have said something to somebody? Yeah, I probably should have, but I just didn't do it. And I said, so let me ask you a question, man. I said, if I make your schedule to where you don't have to come in until 30 minutes after everybody else comes in, can you promise me that you're going to be there 30 at that time, on time, every single time. And he said, yeah, I should be. I said, let me ask a different question. If I make your schedule an hour later so that you have an hour to get here, would you have more comfort in doing that? And he said, that would make me feel better. So if she has to run over or whatever else. And I said, great, your your time to be here now is not 10 o'clock at night. It's 11 o'clock at night. And I expect you to be here every time because I'm going to accommodate that. That's exactly what we should have been doing all along. We just didn't stop and ask you the right questions to find out what was happening. Guess what? James is still working for Target as a store team leader making almost $200,000 a year. There and you he go, was James. He was going to get fired back when he was a stalker because he was 15 minutes late every night. And I think that part of our job as being leaders in our organizations is being able to see through some of the surface level stuff and looking at what really drives and motivates people under the surface level. This is a guy who obviously had influence. He'd been there forever. People would follow him, but they would follow him for doing bad things or they'll follow him for doing good things. And once we figured out that what the issue was and redirected him and brought him on as an ally instead of an adversary, not only did his performance improve, he made more money for him and his family. I'm pretty sure his wife doesn't work at all these days because <laughs> he's doing just fine. But it also increased the productivity of the entire team and from a cultural perspective, it opened the lines of communication because there's no way that James kept it a secret that I called him into the office not to yell at him, not to discipline him, but to simply find out, look, man, how can I help? What can I do to make you successful? Because ultimately, my role as the leader of this organization is to get everybody that I can to be successful. And if I have the ability to do that 100% in my control, then if I don't, it's a reflection on me more than it's a reflection on you. And I don't think that we take the time to sit down and peel it back and ask those questions and understand the root cause of things that are driving the behaviors that we don't want to see. But we probably need to spend more time doing that because more than likely we have a simple solution to the problem. We just haven't identified the real problem yet. I think I think that's a good point, man. I, I, the, the redirect is interesting. It's something that I've... Uh, you're going to thank me for that with well, your kid. So, I can promise so you. So that's what I was – I mean, as soon as you said that a few minutes ago, I was like, well, this is uh, – I'm running into this with Nash right now. I mean, like when, when we yell at him and tell him no for something, like biting, like the kid just laughs like maniacally and thinks it's hilarious and continues biting. But when we redirect him and like, no, 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 go play with your train or whatever, then he's cool. So it's just something that it's 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 a, a mindset that you have to kind of flip, and I think if you do that in the business world, you apply those same principles. And I, I I guess I don't know why more people don't. I guess the correlation isn't there, maybe, but it requires um, effort, Kyle. That's well, why. Yeah, <laughs> right. But um, I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I think it applies in every situation. 
Well, I can tell you that's how I've raised my kids at this point. Because yeah. when I read that book and I sat back and I looked at it, I'm like, holy crap. I mean, like this is a this is a fix that I can use with my children and we'll see how Makes it works. Total sense. So so far it's worked like a champ, right? Mm-hmm. The one thing I would tell you is take it a step further and instead of say, Go play with your toys, say, Hey, I'm gonna come down and play on the play on the floor with you. Let me come play trains with you. Whether it's you know, only five minutes and then you leave him to his own devices or not, mm-hmm. the reason he's doing that is because he's craving attention. your attention. Right. Give him that attention. Yep. Man, there, once again, I, I love the direction you guys go. A few thoughts pop into mind. And, and yes, you know, I, I'm the very proud father of three kids. And there's so many parallels, as you guys know, between just parenting in general and any leadership role. It doesn't matter if it's sports business or anything in between. Uh, the fundamentals and the, the, the primary principles never change. You know, it does remind me, you know, um, for those that are in leadership positions and have positions of authority in a company, you know, every single thing someone on your team does or says, it's either something you accept or it's something you need to correct. There's nothing in between. There is no gray area. You know, I I know there's plenty of gray area in this world, but I I find it as a helpful tool when we can make things crystal clear and binary, uh, it it can be very helpful. So every single thing that in this case James did is either something we accept or it's something we need to correct. Um, As we've already said, if it's something we accept because it's in alignment with our core mission and values, uh, then we praise it so that we see more of it. If it's something that's not in alignment with our core mission and values, uh, then we need to correct it and we need to coach it. And and I I love the approach that you took with him, um, which obviously he responded much uh, more positively to than the ways that that others were treating uh, treating him. But, But that also comes from a place of extreme ownership. You know, you, you took ownership of the situation, uh, didn't blame, didn't complain, didn't make excuses. You know, that that is a trilogy of behaviors that undermine performance, they undermine fulfillment, they absolutely undermine cohesion on a team, is everyone needs to take ownership. And one, one construct that has really helped me, um, and it sounds like you kind of did this maybe in a slightly different way, is if someone on the team is not living up to the core values and the standards of excellence, and they have behavior that needs to be corrected, uh, is you can kind of walk them through this construct. Uh, first and foremost, you just say, look, do you give me permission to coach you? Now you can use, if you don't like the word coach, you can use whatever word works better for you. But but I would look James in the eye and say, do you give me permission to coach you? Now, once again, this is gonna be a binary answer. It's either a yes or a no. If for any reason James says, no, I don't give you permission to coach me, then he simply cannot be a part of this team and he just wrote himself his own pink slip. End of discussion. Uh, that is very rarely going to be the case. You'll usually mm-hmm. get some level of compliance and James will say, yes, I give you permission to coach me. Great. Do you give me permission to do everything in my power to support you, to empower you, and to help you be the best that you're capable of? Once again, it's a yes or a no. Uh, if at any time in these forks in the road, the person says no, they simply can't be a part of the team. We can't allow that. We have to protect the sanctity of the group. But if James says yes, absolutely. Then the next step is saying, you know, he, here are our standards of excellence. Here's, here are our core values. One of our core values is being on time. We believe in being prompt and being on time because we believe that is a sign of respect. You know, you have to have respect for Target. You have to have respect for your colleagues. You have to have respect for getting your job done because the next morning when customers come in, they're going to need to see the shelves have been stocked. You know, do, do you give me permission to hold you accountable to these standards of excellence? And if he says yes, then the last thing you just need to say is, what is the best way for me to hold you accountable? 
inevitably, if you fall a little bit short and you don't quite meet one of these, what is the best way or how will you be most receptive to me coaching you? What's the best way for me to, to talk to you about this? You know, do we, we just kind of, you know, pull up a chair in my office after hours and have a one-on-one -on -one discussion? Like you let me know how I can best support you and coach you. And it's been my experience. If you can go through those steps and, and get them to have the buy-in and believe in, you will very, very rarely ever have an issue again. In fact, the next time, if James were to be one minute late because he got a flat tire, he'll probably come running through the door with beads of sweat because he did everything he could to be on time. And he'll be the first to say, you know, I'm so sorry that I'm a minute late. You know, it won't happen again. Like it, it completely flips the dynamic upside down. And it all just comes back to creating these constructs that, that are simple in nature and they're not easy to do, but they're incredibly basic and you get the other person to buy in and believe in to what you're building and you will nip 99% of any of these headaches in the bud. Yeah. And you know what? I think that everything you just said also applies to our role as salespeople mm -hmm. because we should be Absolutely. having these same conversations with our prospects, right? Mm -hmm. I have always been a huge proponent of setting the ground rules for the relationship on the front end. You know, yeah. are you going to give me the information I need when I need it? Are you going to give me access to your team and the, your people so that I can conduct interviews and learn what's going on in your organization and better craft a risk management plan for you? And number three, if I come back and I provide action, a good work product that makes sense, that's going to drive change in your organization, do you have the ability to fire your existing representation and hire me? I want to ask questions like that on the front end because just like you said, if the the answer to any one of those yeah. is no, I'm out. This is right. a non-starter for me. I'm not going to be the person who brings a bad relationship into my organization and then complains for the next couple of years because they do everything they did on the front end. I refuse to allow myself to be beholden to a relationship simply because I earn money from it. It has to be the right relationship and mutually beneficial to both parties. And I think that we get so caught up as salespeople in the pressure of producing and the drive for commission that sometimes we don't make it as basic as we need to. And we make it very difficult on ourselves to walk away from things that intuitively we know is not the right thing for us to do, but we do it anyhow because we're like Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber, you know? So you're saying there's a chance. I just might be able to get this one across the finish line, right? Well, well ultimately, and no, you're so right on point. And, and the reason that we do that is because the system is so messed up that, that we tend to only care about outcomes. So that's why people don't value whether or not this is the right fit. All they're thinking about is in the short term, can I make a few dollars or can I make a couple sales because that'll inch me closer to my quota or, or the number that I'm trying to reach and, and we've got it backwards. You know, I think in any relationship, any type of relationship, personal or professional, the sooner you can qualify someone as not the right fit, the better it is for both parties because now you won't be wasting anybody's time. Neither of you will waste anyone's time. As soon as I know that you are not the right prospective customer for my business, then the sooner we can go our separate ways. I mean, shoot, even to the point where I'll refer you to someone else that I think you'll be a better fit for because you're not a good fit for my business. And you know, that, that, that is vital. Same thing with a team member. You know, had you decided that James was not the right fit for your team at Target, the sooner you can come to that conclusion and the sooner you can set him free 
to go work at Walmart or go work somewhere else, the stronger your team will be. So yeah, I believe in doing all of this stuff up front, qualifying people and yeah, can continue to drop the breadcrumbs if they are the right fit, but then professionally and, and respectfully and with civility, cut them loose if they're not. You'll get rid of so many headaches. But this goes back to process versus outcome. Like I'm not worried about getting a few dollars from you on today's sale. I'm worried about bringing in the right fit so that you'll be a customer for the rest of our lives together and that will produce more over time. So it's the, the short-term versus long-term thinking um, also plays into this process versus outcome thinking. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time, and we're getting close to an hour, but I do want to talk about your – I know you have one book that's out, and you have another one that's either just come out or is just coming out. Talk a little bit about your first book, and then I want you to pump your second book, and then we're going to have a giveaway. I'm going to get two dozen copies of Alan's new book. If you will send me an email, and I'm gonna we're going to let him talk about it first. I'm going to tell you exactly what I want you to do to get a free copy of that, but – Go ahead, man. I want you to talk about book number one, and then let's really pump the one that's just coming out. Be happy to. And the two work in together in unison. So the first book that came out in uh, January of 2019 is called Raise Your Game, uh, and it gives principles and strategies on how to optimize performance in every area of your life. Uh, the new book, which will come out April 12th, it's available for pre-order now, but will launch officially on April 12th, is called Sustain Your Game. And it's about how you can continue to sustain high performance and optimal performance for long periods of time. And, and the real part that we dig into in the second book is how we manage stress, how we avoid stagnation, and how we beat burnout, which are three things that I've found have been heightened exponentially over the past two years during this <laughs> pandemic with a lot of people sure. working remotely. You know, burnout is on an all-time high. Uh, people are, are stressed out more than they've ever been. Uh, so I'm certainly hoping that, that this follow-up book um, offers the type of practical, actionable strategies and has some pretty cool stories that will allow folks to continue to perform at a high level for year after year, uh, just like the, the two of you have been able to do. All right, people. So here's the instructions in the subject line. I want raise your game, right? That's book number one. Yeah. Raise your game in the subject yeah. line. I don't want you to put it in the body. I want you to put it in the subject line. Why? Because I can go into Outlook and sort by subject, and then all of my requests for the book will be in one place. We're going to buy a dozen of Raise Your Game and a dozen Sustain Your Game, and for the first 12 people that reach out to me, I'm going to send you both books so that you have the beginning and what he's updated in the new book. So Boom. I want to make sure that you understand. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will literally be right around the time that Sustain Your Game has been officially launched. So this will actually be perfect. Nice. And it, guess what? If you're if you're not one of the lucky 12 that's, you know, get gets to me first, I'm fairly certain there will be plenty of copies available on Amazon <laughs> for you to go get. So Most certainly. Well, take that I, seriously. I we give away a lot of books. No, I was going to say thank you, so much for, thank you so much for your generosity and graciousness. I'll make sure to sign uh, bo both copies of, of everything and, and send them over. Yeah, if, if folks don't 
aren't one of the lucky dozen to get that from you, uh, they can just go to sustainyourgamebook.com. Uh, there's a ton of bonus offers there. Uh, anyone that wants to order in bulk for their organization, I can offer a, a massive discount and can even bundle it together with, with a new keynote, which is by the same title of Sustain Your Game, which I'm excited about as well. But man, I, I can't thank you both enough, man. That's incredibly generous and I, I really appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Well, I'll just get them from you then. I'm not going to go to Amazon to get them. I'll just come to your website and I don't want you to give me a bulk discount. I want you to make your money on it, but that'll get it to where I can at least get you to sign them before you send them. So Perfect. that would be, that would be awesome. So, Sweet. well, listen, man, anything we missed, anything else you want to bring out to the audience before we wrap this thing up? No, I think you guys did a masterful job. This was fun. I, I didn't know it was going to be a two for one. Uh, it was great to work with both of you guys and you both brought up some really excellent points and uh, I appreciate the work you do and, and thanks so much for the opportunity to share with your audience. Well, we only bring Kyle out for the heavy hitters, man. Usually I can handle somebody, you know, a normal person I can handle by myself. But when we bring Alan Stein Jr. in, we got to bring in the reinforcements. So yeah, you listen, I appreciate, you, <laughs> I appreciate you, appreciate you carving an hour out for yeah, us for today. Sure. I look forward to getting this out to our audience. I know they're going to absolutely love it. And I look forward to uh, just hearing stories of people who read the books that we send and that they buy from you and how that's changed. So if you've read book number one, feel free to send us a story. I'll put it in with the uh, the marketing pieces when we promote this podcast, and I'd like to hear those stories. But again, get me the subject line, get the email to me, and we'll send you a copy of each book signed by Alan Stein Jr. I'm going to wrap it up. Everybody have a great week. Alan, again, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on, and to everybody else, get out there and crush it. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.